welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Schell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Would you take out your Bibles and go with me to Acts chapter 2? Lord, would you open the Word to us? Would you open our heart to the Word? We would ask you to feed us. We would ask you to teach us. We would ask you to fill us with the Spirit and that we would, we would be moving forward. We will not uh, grow stagnant. We ask you, Lord, to teach us. And I ask for the grace to, to let your word come through me and that we would hear you and not me. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll tell you what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about a, a topic that you've not heard a lot of sermons on. Basically, I'm going to talk about giving God our tongue. I'm going to talk about speaking in tongues today. And I'm not coming after you. I'm not going to lock the doors and, and have, a, have a deal where you can't get out till you speak in tongues. So you're not, don't be threatened if you don't. But I am going to talk to you about this. Here's what I want to say. For all these years, I, we, we talk about speaking in tongues. We know it's in the Bible. And uh, we see it there and all of that. But the question really comes, what is it? Why would anyone want to do it? I mean, you're speaking another language. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a whole lot of pastors who would feel that. They would say, look, it's controversial. It's awkward. Maybe they do themselves, but I don't know how to get somebody else to do it. Um, and, and so they just sort of back away from it. And it's, 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 it's called all kinds of names. Somebody calls it the least of the gifts. You know, like God got it right the first few times and it got, his gifts got worse and worse as they went down the line. <laughs> Thank you for laughing. Yeah, that was because the whole concept is so fleshy and stupid that uh, you'd never look God in the eye and say, well, I don't want that one. It's the least. I mean, that, that, that's coming out of people who are fighting. That's coming out of people who are looking for excuses not to do it. And they're inventing things. It's a totally invented concept. And it's really beneath uh, anything that the Bible would say. Everything, every gift God gives is good and perfect. And designed for what it's made for. And so to say, I don't want that one. Uh, who are we to look him in the eye and say, I don't want something that you've given and you've designed for me. And you understand I need. And so I, I want to I just go through today, what is it? And why would it be of value to us? So we're starting there in Acts 2. I'm going to read that real quickly because I just want to refresh you in that story. Uh, and then we'll, we'll get to our text. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And I gave you my translation. They heard a noise from heaven and it came to them. And then I believe it came like a wind. And it filled the whole house and they were, where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Would you say, as the Spirit was giving them utterance? Now, there were Jews living in Jerusalem. Go figure. Uh, he, he, he means, particularly, that term, of we've seen it, uh, is, is used by John, particularly, as, as religious leaders. But in this case, he's saying, Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men. So he's talking about religious leaders and mature people uh, in particular from every nation under heaven. So you've got a real, um, real deep, spiritually focused group of people. This is Pentecost. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Say, in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, why, why are not all of these who, who are speaking Galileans, and how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Say, our own language to which we were born. Parthians and Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia. Look, uh, the Parthians and Medes uh, and Elamites, that's basically Iran and, and to the east and north. Uh, Mesopotamia, that's going to be Iraq. 
Judea, Cappadocia, is central, eastern central uh, Turkey. It's a very desolate place. Uh, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus, that's north Turkey. Asia, that's the western coast of Turkey. Phrygia and Pamphylia, that's the southern coast of Turkey. Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, that's North Africa. And visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, converts to Judaism. Cretans, people from the island of Crete, and Arabs to the, from, from, the, from, from, the, from the east. We hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. Say the mighty deeds of God. That's what they heard them saying. And they all, they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? Others were mocking, saying they're full of sweet wine. They're drunk. Peter, raising his, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to the men of Judea and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose. For it is only the third hour of the day. What time is it? It's nine o'clock in the morning. But this was what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. Now, Peter's going to say this is, this, is, this is a fulfillment of prophecy. And here's the one he points to out of, out of Joel's prophecy. And it shall be in the last days, God says, I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will pour, in those days I will pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy. Would you notice the emphasis that's saying the spirit's coming on men and women and both shall prophesy. And they will grant wonders in this, I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke, I'll explain this later. Sun will be turned to darkness and moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then Peter keys off of that last statement. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved and preaches a great evangelistic sermon. Giving God our tongue. When God pardon me, when the Spirit arrived on the day of Pentecost, a miracle took place that involved the human tongue. An entire group of people, possibly 120, men, women, and even children, began to speak in languages that they had never learned. Luke explains that the Holy Spirit gave them the words to speak. Never before had there been such a miracle in Israel's history. There had been numerous occasions when the Spirit came upon people and they would prophesy in their own language. And then I give you quite a little list there of, of examples where the Spirit comes on someone and they prophesy. But there is no record of anyone being enabled to speak in a foreign language. That's an important thought. This, this miracle has never happened before. This, this is new. This is not, there's not an Old Testament example of this and now it's being done again. This is a brand new miracle. The, the disciples had gathered under a covered area on a rooftop. So when they all began to speak in new languages, the sound of their voices could be heard by the pilgrims who were walking through the surrounding streets on their way to the temple. Remember, it's Pentecost. It's morning. The gates of the temple will open at nine or so uh, for, the, uh, for the morning offering. People are filling this, uh, these, these streets. They're narrow. They're, they're all stone. And they're, they're wa wa waiting for the, for the gates to open. And then they will surge on in to the, to the temple. And what those pilgrims heard also involved a miracle. I want you to see this. Luke carefully chooses his word to tell us that each one heard all of those voices speaking in his or her native language. Did you follow? The people filling the streets in Jerusalem that day came from many different nations. And though some would have known Hebrew, most would have, and most would have known Greek, they would also have spoken a local dialect from the region where they had born, been born. Now, you might think to yourself, well, the Jews, they all speak Hebrew. No, sir. No, they would not. In fact, that's why you have what's called the Septuagint. You end up with a Greek Old Testament because the people did not speak Hebrew. When they're, when, when they're outside of Israel, and even Israel was speaking Aramaic, which never mind. Uh, but they're, they're all out there, 
And so, yes, their, their rabbis would have. Uh, their, their many, some of the elders, they would, have, they would have had Hebrew. But as time goes on and you live at a distance, you don't, you don't speak that language. But you would have spoken, if you uh, you'll spoke, speak your local dialect, and you would have spoken Greek, because Greek is the business language. Just like, like English today is, is, an, is a business language. There's a number of business languages. So if, if you grow up in Israel today, you will, you will be taught uh, Hebrew, you will be taught Arabic, and you will be taught English. Why? So you can do business. So you can function on, on, on a wider scale. Greek was the language like that of that time. Yet Luke says every one of them understood what was being said by those speaking in tongues. So there were actually two miracles that occurred that morning. First, the Holy Spirit gave each disciple a new language. And second, he gave each listener the ability to understand what was said because they heard the disciples speaking in the language that they spoke at home. Uh, Luke uses the word dialect. He's, uh, he's talking about their heart language. So, so you, we got the picture. Every pilgrim down in the streets hears this, this, this noise uh, that's echoing through the streets and through the lower city probably. And they're hearing all of these and they hear the whole thing in their the language their mother taught them at her knee. You understand? Their heart language. It's really a special miracle. It's a beautiful thing. They heard people, and what did they hear when they heard them? They heard them declaring the mighty deeds of God. Many suggestions have been offered to explain what happened that day. It's been called ecstatic speech, meaning that the disciples were in such an emotional frenzy that they compulsively blurted out gibberish. Let me stop there a second. Uh, you even have translations, and I hope you don't have this one, but I know there's at least one, and I think there's more, in which they'll translate the term speaking in tongues into ecstat, uh, tongues of ecstasy. Have you seen that? That is a completely imposed term. Ecstasis is a Greek word. It means to stand outside of. And so the idea is that I get, I get myself so emotional, emotionally worked up that I'm literally standing outside myself. We have the phrase in English, I'm he was beside himself. It's exactly what the term is. So the thought of, it, of, the, of ecstasy, when they say that, is that you got yourself so worked up that just started going, blah, 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 blah. it is no compliment. It's an insult virtually in the translation. These are people who cannot conceive of what this is. And so they think, well, they just got themselves all worked up and started. Blah, 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 blah. That's where they go with it. And they translate it right into it. Peter didn't think that's what happened. They were observers there were observers present at the time who mockingly suggested they were all drunk. Though, as we've seen, their speech was not garbled, but could be understood by all. And some have suggested that God momentarily gave those disciples the ability to preach the gospel in different languages that were represented in that diverse crowd. But none of these suggestions takes into account Peter's own explanation. He said they weren't drunk and what they were saying wasn't gibberish. He said it was a form of prophecy. He said it was a sign that the spiritual restoration of Israel, which the prophets had said would come before the final battle of the last days, had begun. Let me explain. The book of Joel, have you read it? Yeah, last service, I'm not sure they had. Uh, the, the book of Joel is, 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 if you remember, it starts out with this description of a locust invasion. Remember all, all, the, all the, the, the grasshoppers? They're locusts. And it talks about line upon line and rank upon rank and marching. And, and apparently what had happened is there was a locust in, uh, in, infestation that had, had struck Israel. And Joel is given a prophetic word off of this. And the prophetic word is basically this. Just as these, these locusts are coming in in this great... They, they come in and, and, it, and this is actually... It is, is just... It's bizarre how these things work. They get in lines in, in a, as a solid mass. It's like the ground is moving. They stay in ranks and they go literally up the side of a house, right over the roof and down the other side. 
and they'll go right on. I mean, when they start moving like this, it's just uncanny. And so what you read in Joel is not some kind of, uh, he, is, he is accurately describing a locust invasion. And here's the point he makes. He says, and someday, that'll be Gentile armies. They will come rank upon rank, shoulder to shoulder. You'll have a massive army coming against Israel. And he says, but before that day, God is going to restore Israel. Before that day, he's going to bring the nation together. He's going to pour out upon them the Holy Spirit. And all of them, men and women, will prophesy and be full of the Holy Spirit. And God will do a mighty work in Israel, and then the nations will come against it. And then if you read the next thing, it says, and, they will, and then God will take those Gentile armies into the valley of Jehoshaphat. Remember this? You know, and he'll crush them. And so that, that's the coming of Jesus. And so you have, the, this, is, this is a beautiful thing. And so Peter stands up, and he's not just picking a verse out of nothing. He's saying that restoration starts now. God has begun to restore the spiritual life of Israel and poured out his spirit on men and women and listened to them prophesy. Because they were, they were speaking in tongues and what they were saying was, was they, were, they were virtually declaring the mighty deeds of God. And he says this what, this, this, is, this is something that has begun. And then, of course, he announces, and every one of you who believes, if you will repent and be baptized, this gift will be given to you too. Those who say that the speaking in tongues that day was a, only a momentary miracle to evangelize that diverse crowd overlook the fact that Peter went on to evangelize that same crowd using only one language, probably Greek. Then, as now, people in that part of the world spoke numerous languages, and in every age there was always one particular language that was used in commerce. And that, it's that language that people would use when they were talking or writing to a diverse group. What language is the New Testament written in? Greek. Why? It's the language everywhere it goes, people will know it. And, and don't kid yourself, those men uh, knew Greek uh, particularly, you'll know P uh, Peter, Andrew, James, John, and Philip. They will know Greek. They're from Bethsaida, which is actually on the, on the uh, east side of the Jordan River, right, basically, actually, in the Decapolis, in that Greek uh, community. And so when people come, the Greeks come to, to and said, Sir, we would, we would see Jesus. They want to they talk to Jesus, these Greek speakers. Who do they go to? They go to Andrew. Why? He speaks Greek. Fluent in Greek. So when, you, when, when Peter writes his epistles, when John writes in Greek, don't kid yourself, they could speak Greek. And they spoke it well. The, you know, I'll just tell, I didn't tell the other service this, but it would have hurt their feelings, but I'll, I'll tell you. When, I, I forget where I heard this. I was out on the mission field somewhere, and one of the, one of the pastors said to me, pa Pastor Steve, do you, what do you call a person that speaks three languages? I said, well, I suppose they're trilingual. Yes, very good. What do you speak? call a person that speaks two languages? I said, bilingual? Yes. What do you, Pastor Steve, what do you call a person that speaks one language? And I said, monolingual? He says, no, American. <laughs> they laugh at us. They laugh, and, and fair enough. Everywhere you go in the world, they speak multiple languages, you know. It's, it, it, this is, so it's, we stretches us a little bit, but they, they did. They, they just did. At, at that point in time, the language was Greek. The, the book of Acts preserves the basic outline of the sermon Peter preached that day, and it was pure evangelism. He proclaimed the death and resurrection of Jesus and then called on his listeners to repent and be baptized. And he didn't need interpreters to translate uh, what, what he spoke because one language was enough so the miracle of speaking in tongues was not given to those disciples so they could preach the gospel to that crowd it was a gift that would help to equip them for the ministry that lay ahead Jesus was preparing prophets for the last days and Peter said he will continue to, to offer that gift to every believer until the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. Let's try to understand why God would want us to receive it. Understanding the gift. What is speaking in tongues? 
It is a spiritual gift that allows our human spirit to speak to God using words we have never learned. And let me point out this. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak in tongues. Your spirit speaks in tongues. The Bible is very clear about this. Paul's very clear about this. That our human spirit speaks to God. But we don't, our brain doesn't know what it's, we're saying. For the spirit has given us the words for my spirit to pray or praise, to worship or to intercede with in this language. You've got to locate it properly. It's our spirit. Words flow out of our lips that don't originate in our minds. And though we don't understand what we're saying, God does. And he's pleased with what he hears because the Holy Spirit guides us to say the very things we would have said if we were wise enough, good enough, or brave enough to have thought of them and then been willing to say them. I think we tell him we love him more intensely than we would normally allow ourselves to say. I think when you pray in the spirit, I think you, you're saying to him at times things that would embarrass you. We surrender more deeply than common sense would allow us to surrender. In other words, you say, I give you everything. Now, and then your natural brain would go, oh, no, no, calm down. Not, 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 don't be so zealous. Or we intercede for people and, and, and situations that our distracted minds may have forgotten. I think sometimes we're praying for situations we don't even know what we're praying for. The Bible says we are, we, it's intercession. Think of it like this. We, we have songs and hymns that we'll sing. And we sing them out you know, with, with energy and heart. But if you ask us, do you really, really, really mean that? You know, there'd be parts of it we really, really don't. We just hope nobody notices, you know, so we're just singing away. Uh, you know, think of it, uh, I surrender all. You know, I surrender all, you know, all to Jesus, I surrender. And you, I'm just giving you everything. Are we really? Well, no, but it's, it's the hymn, come on. You know, it occurred to me what would be fun was be to put a Fitbit on everybody that was like a lie detector. If you could sort of wire that sucker up, you know, you know they have these programs that can take it and process it, and then we'd have a meter on the screen. Have you seen that? They have them in churches that do various things. They don't know this. Uh, I'm inventing a new concept. And so just imagine if you had a Fitbit that was a lie detector on everybody in the congregation that as we sang, the meter on the screen would tell you whether it's a truth meter. Do I mean, how, how much truth is here? So, so we're singing... We're up, you know, we're up. I surrender all. I surrender all. Oh, you know, so she go through the song. Our brain gets in the way, doesn't it? We filter what we say. Haven't you found yourself doing this sometimes, saying something to God and going, oh, oh wait a minute, wait a minute. Why did I say that? Your brain just argued with your spirit. See, your spirit, when, you're, when you come to Christ, is born again. I mean, you surrendered. You love him. All things have become new in your spirit. So that spirit saying stuff, the brain hasn't caught up with yet. And that's the point of this. It's one of the key points of this, this, this gift, is that God has literally equipped us so that my brain can't filter what I'm going to praise or pray. God can pass it by and say what needs to be said. And the, here, the wonderful part is he literally takes it as though I meant it. Now, I didn't know all that I said, but he says, boy, listen to Steve pray. He's just, <laughs> what surrender, what love, what intercession, what a great guy. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> just going by by my mind. Paul says this gift is a great help to us personally. And to the church corporately. Because the spirit guides us to pray rightly. We are no longer weak. But receive God's strength. You remember what he said? He says. He says. Uh, he's talking about the groanings of creation. How this whole earth. And we who are, have the first fruits of the spirit. We too groan. We're all trapped on a dying wicked planet. 
that even the animals and the plant world are suffering. We who are, have the first fruits of the Spirit, we who are baptized in the Spirit, we who walk in Jesus Christ, even we groan. We're, we're suffering here too. And he says, but the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For, and, and we're weak, why, he says? Because we know not how to pray as we ought to pray. He includes himself in that. We know not how to pray as we ought to pray, but he says the Spirit helps us in our, in, in our weakness, for we know not how to pray as we ought, with, sigh, with groans too deep for words. Now, whether that means specifically tongues, it, but it means that the Spirit is interceding for me even when I don't know what to say in my, in my weakness. And then he says, he who searches the heart, this is Romans 8, 26 and 27. He who searches the heart. That, who's that? God the Father. Knows what the mind of the spirit is. So he knows what this spirit, as it's groaning or speaking words, I don't know. The, my heavenly father knows what's being said. And then he says, for he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So the spirit has been given to me to pray rightly. To help me in my weakness. When I don't know how to pray. I've been given a gift. To pray what needs to be prayed. That I might be strengthened. Because we are able to worship supernaturally. We can repeatedly be filled. With his. uh, Afresh with his presence. So that our hearts is lifted. Our heart is lifted. When we are sad. And might otherwise have considered medicating our misery in some other way. I am basically trying to paraphrase Ephesians 5, 18 through 20 there. Paul says this. He says, do not be drunk with wine, wherein is dissipation. He says, but be filled with the spirit. Be being filled with the spirit. With, with songs and hymns and spiritual songs making melody in your heart to the Lord. Spiritual songs is singing in tongues. And so he's, Paul says this, he says, when you're depressed, when you're angry, when you're alone, when you're confused, when you're weary, when you're afraid of dying, don't medicate yourself by getting drunk. And it was a problem in the early church. Don't drink, he says, worship. Worship into the presence of the Spirit. And one of the tools that you've been given in this is spiritual songs, songs and hymns and spiritual songs. You can sing in the Spirit. So Paul says, don't medicate that way. Get yourself in the spirit and he will lift you up. He'll lift your heart and give you joy. By speaking in tongues, we're able to build up our most holy faith, says Jude, the Lord's brother, half-brother. Or refresh a gathering of believers by providing a spirit-inspired word of praise, thanksgiving, or intercession. When the church gathers, there's a place for, the, uh, for that, to, that gift of praise and adoration to come and be interpreted. In that case, the, those words that are in another language should be, will be interpreted so that all can understand what was said and join in agreement. The idea of speaking words we don't understand of allowing the Holy Spirit to control our tongue can be very intimidating. Few areas in our personality are more central to who we are, more embedded in our self-identity than our speech. In fact, it can be difficult for a person to think through a matter without talking. It's how we express ourselves. It's how we tell others about our joy, sorrow, desire, fear, hope, or anger. What we feel or think generally comes out of our mouth in words. So to release the control of our tongue, even to God, involves a profound level of trust. It's both frightening and humbling, which is why so many of us have struggled with it. Other gifts of the Spirit allow our conscious mind to remain active and filter what we say. They too require us to say things inspired by the Spirit, but only speaking in tongues requires us to completely yield control of what is said. To the point that we don't know what we are saying, all we hear are unrecognizable sounds. I'm, at 12 years of age, I met God through this. I got 
taken by my mother to a prayer meeting. I didn't know what was going on. I just had to go with her. Uh, and I sat in the chair by myself in the back. Uh, I didn't have a bad attitude, but I, I was just there because I had to be. Uh, you know my mother, I had to be. And uh, so I'm there. And uh, she's actually back at me. <laughs> That's a story in itself. And um, in the process, the power of the Holy Spirit, no one touched me, no one even paid any attention to me, no one even knew this happened. They're having a conversation, this group of people, not a large group, in a living room of a house in, in the high desert in California. And so they're having this conversation, and then somebody speaks in another language. And I thought, oh, they're bilingual. And then another person spoke in English, and I thought, why, that's God. And I listened, and as I listened, I, I clearly uh, fainted. I went out. Uh, I know that because I came too. I didn't know it at the time. I didn't sense anything. I just was gone and came too. And when I came too, my tongue was moving by itself. My head was tipped up, and my tongue was moving and as a 12-year-old, I, I processed this, and I said, Is it, there's an angel moving my tongue. And I, just, I felt this, something happening, and this whole, and I, shouldn't, I said, there's an angel moving my tongue. And then I recoiled. I got terrified. I have no theology for this. I don't even know this happens. I don't know what's going on. Uh, this is happening to me, and I'm scared out of my mind. And uh, I, I, I won't go through the details, but I, I went, I, I said, let's get out of here. And, and we left. I'm sorry I recoiled now. I wish I had known what was happening. I wish I had let it roll. I wish I'd given that voice. But here's what I felt, and I just, this is the point, I think, for a lot of us. The idea of letting go of your tongue is, it almost feels like you're, you're becoming insane. I mean, it, it, this speech thing for us is so central to who we are that to let go of it, even to God, is, 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 is almost like giving up your mind. It's a, it's a very intimate, very tender matter. And so I, I, I didn't, and then... A week or so later, I don't remember, my mom comes into my room in the morning and says, well, you sat up in bed last night and talked in another language. I thought, what was it? And, and she said, I don't know, maybe German. And, uh, and I thought, oh, man. And so the next night, I thought, I'm not going to sleep. <laughs> I did. I'm, I'm not making this up. I, I'm not going to sleep. He's not going to get me again. And... Um, and so I, uh, finally, I, at 11 o'clock at night, I'm sitting up in my chair, and I'm going, I'm dozing, I'm going to go to sleep. And so, so I, I lay down on my bed, and I lay on my stomach and put my jaw against the mattress, <laughs> and I put pillows on either side of my head to wedge myself in so that he couldn't get me in the night. <laughs> I ran away from this. I, for, for six years, I would not willingly speaking tongues. In fact, I got every, I, I avoided prayer meetings and things because there's a lot of power in those days. And I'd walk into it and start feeling funny again, you know, like, ah, and, and, and so I'm running away from this whole thing. All that to say, two years ago, I was sitting in the back of an auditorium, right? I mean, against the back wall and and it, 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 uh, it was reasonably dark in the whole place, and it, but it was, um, uh, it was a, it was a conference, a pastor's conference, and I was going to speak. And I was just preparing myself for this, you know, back there. And as people were worshiping around me, and as I sat there, I was reminded of that first time that I just described for you. And, I, and it, it, it came over me, and I, I said, Lord, I'm really sorry that I was so frightened. I'm sorry that I recoiled, and I took my tongue back. I can't fix that, but today I just, I want you to know, I give you my tongue. And then I begin to just pray in the spirit, really freely. In a sense, putting myself back those years, and this time not withholding it. 
but just letting it run. Now, I've spoken in tongues for years, but I was, I was healing something. I was, I, was, I was repenting, as it were, of grabbing my tongue because it's so intimate. So when I talk about the, the, the fear of this, the, the intimacy of it, the, 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 that quality to it, I deeply understand. And I am not trying to ro- railroad anybody but I want you to see that there, there, it, there is a fear factor involved. So if speaking in tongues is that intimidating, why, why would anyone do it? Why would a perfectly rational person take that first step into the unknown and yield control of their speech to the Holy Spirit? The answer is simple. We desperately need the help that this gift is designed to bring us. Every follower of Jesus Christ has been called to walk in the Spirit Which means that sooner or later, every one of us must take that first step into the realm of the miraculous. Like Peter stepping out of a boat and discovering that he was able to walk on water, each of us must learn to trust that God will undergird our first step with a miracle. And then, of course, there will be many more steps. Because our Lord has called us to be led by the Spirit and move freely in the gifts of the Spirit. But our walk in the spirit often begins by overcoming the fear to yield our tongue. Every one of us, this isn't for some people, every person who's a Christian, this was his plan. That we would all, now full of the spirit, we would begin to listen to him, do what we see him do, speak what we hear him speak. He he gave us all of these gifts, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues, healing, fear, I mean uh, discernment. He gives us all of these things. You and I, this isn't for some. The plan was we'd all do it. And then led by our head, God's kingdom would be going into the whole world. Now that's gotten stopped, but that's the plan. And so to to do it, every one of us, there's that place where it's like, Peter, can you imagine getting out of that boat and and trying to stand on water? I mean, that, that... moment was quite the moment there has to be a first step and it's going to be scary illustration Uh, my mother grew up in northern minnesota and so about the time i was nine on every year we went back part of the year to northern minnesota and uh, on the way we would stop at various places and one of one place i really enjoyed stopping was called Evans Plunge in Hot Springs, South Dakota. And it's this place that has like thousands of gallons of hot mineral water that come up out of the ground. And they put a big pool, huge pool, uh, with this water flowing in one end and out the other. So it's all fresh. And then you've got the crushed rock underneath. It's a, it's a big covered thing. And at the end of it, I think they now got a whole slide park kind of thing. But at the end of it, it they used to have this one Huge copper slide. And it went as high as this roof. I mean, it, it, <laughs> it was way up there. And uh, for, I think, it was, I think it took me three years before I could get myself down that slide. I would go up the steps, and there was these, uh, this elaborate step system in a big line, and you'd all move up, you know, and it took you forever to get up in line to go down it. And I'd stand there looking at this thing, and it, wasn't, it didn't have an angle to it. You just free fell for about 20 or 30 feet, and then at the bottom it pulls you out, and it's got water running through it you know, the whole time. So there's water, and, you'd, and I'd stand there, and I'd just, and then, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, thank you, sorry. And I just walked my way right back down those steps. And I did, I, I made the walk of shame. Uh, <laughs> I know twice, and it might have been three times that I made the walk of shame. And uh, I just couldn't make myself go down it. I think the time I finally went down it, my guess is someone pushed me. <laughs> I actually think so. Because I, all of a sudden I was going down, and I didn't know how I got there. Because you, you kind of sit there and dangle your legs and look, this, you know, and, and then it's usually, kid, are you going to go or not? You know, and, and, and I finally, I think someone just helped me. And, <laughs> and I'm flying. I mean, and you come down this thing and it's just, woo, and you hit the bottom and it would shoot you across the water. I mean, you go quite a ways. You're, you're, by that time, you're just, and you go skip, 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 skip. And then, then it's like, yeah, and, I, and I'm just going around and around this thing. But there ha- there's that first step 
there's that scary thing that you have to kind of work your way through and process and say, I'm going to try this and I'm going to let God do his work. The unruly member. There is also another reason that God wants us to yield to him the control of our tongue. It's found in the book of James. While warning teachers about the judgment they will face if they teach falsely, James talks about the profound influence of the tongue. He says, even though it is a very small member of the human body, it exerts a huge influence on our lives. Just as a horse can be steered by a small bit placed in its mouth or a great ship can be steered by a small rudder at its stern, if a person can control their tongue, they can control the direction of their life. It only takes a small flame to start a forest fire. And the tongue can be used by the enemy to set our lives on fire. James says the tongue by its nature is untamable and full of deadly poison. And even believers tend to use it hypocritically, he says. It blesses God but curses our neighbor. It's a fountain that pours out both fresh and bitter water. So it should come as no surprise that a full surrender to God must include our tongue. We can't give him everything else but withhold that unruly member. When we finally trust him enough to step out and begin to speak in a new language, the Holy Spirit will teach our tongue how to pray and praise with words we can't comprehend, but which we sense bring joy to the heart of God. You know, people try to analyze it. I I have too. You know, is this a language or not? And um, I don't know. Paul speaks of tongues of men and angels. So I don't know that we would even always know. I've had situations where I've watched people uh, know what was spoken. I've had people on uh, two occasions at least know what I spoke. To me, as I get older, that's immaterial. I really don't care. What I find is I am yielding my tongue. And it, I, I am, I am, it's, it's as though I'm letting God have my speech. I am, I'm stepping in and giving him my language. Because doesn't our mouths get used, unfortunately, in wrong ways? Don't we say words? Don't we say angry things, cruel things, unkind things? All kinds of stuff comes out of those lips. And then I want to preach the gospel. Or then I want to talk to somebody about the Lord. Or then I want to praise him. So out of the same lips are coming both vile things and holy things. And it just ought not to be so. And it just needs to, there's a cleansing of those lips. And uh, one, one example years ago I heard is, is a guy said, you know, you have a hose sitting on the front lawn in the summer. And you go to take, you turn the faucet on, you want to take a drink out of that hose. And it's hose water. You know, that warm, hosey, plastic tasting gunk. Yeah. Uh, and he says, but if you let it run long enough, you get the nice cool water. And, and I actually think that you and I need to let the hose run. Sometimes just, we just need to pray in the spirit. Just let, it's almost like cleaning the system out. Just let that run until there is a fresh flow of God's words and of his, of his spirit coming out of our lips. Receiving this gift. If a person wants to receive the gift of speaking in tongues. All right, now I'm going to move quickly through this. What I'm giving you here. Is, 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 is that if you want, you say, pastors, I, I would like this. I maybe have had a history of, of struggle with it, but I, I, would like to, I would like to take that step. How do I do it? What I've given is a, just a simple discussion of what you might do. And that's what this is. I will try not to comment much. If a person wants to receive the gift of speaking in tongues, he or she might begin by reminding themselves of an important truth. We who believe in Jesus have been spiritually joined to him. And as co-heirs with him have been given every good gift by our Heavenly Father. That means that when we come and ask for this gift, we don't need to beg him to give it to us. Nor do we need to wonder if he desires to give it to us. Because of Jesus, he is pleased to give us everything we need. Here is a great promise we can stand on as we come to him. Would you read this out loud with me? This is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. If this is his will, you know you're going to be given it. It may be helpful to ask someone who has been baptized with the Holy Spirit to lay hands on us 
But it is not necessary. Since Jesus is the baptizer with the Holy Spirit and has, been bapt and has baptized many people without anyone assisting in prayer. It's fine to have someone pray with you. It's there's absolutely appropriate. You see constant examples of that. But it's also uh, fine uh, when there is no one who does that. Uh, it's, it's whatever you need. It is very important to become aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit before we begin. Some people don't know that. You don't just start from cold and sort of go, here I am. You, you press in. Whether the, by words, pardon me, by worship, prayer, quiet meditation, or even fasting, we need to press through any barrier and welcome his presence to warm the room. Then, once we sense him near, we need to speak directly to him and tell him that we understand the promise that he has given to us and that we wish to receive this gift. Yet it is at this point that we need to add a note of caution. When some people sense that the Holy Spirit is actually present and is going to guide their tongue, they recoil because of teachings they received as children. They were taught that speaking in tongues is not a gift for today, and they become confused and frightened. They know that what is happening is real, but we're taught that it shouldn't happen. And they may need to stop and go back and study the scriptures for themselves to satisfy their conscience that this is indeed God's will. It is best not to press someone to ignore their conscience. Over the years, I have become amazed at how many people have been taught how fervently as children that the gifts of the Spirit ceased when the Bible was given. There is no text for that. It is an invented thing. The one text that is used is out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 10, in which Paul says, these things will pass away, and then he says when it will happen. He says these gifts will pass away when the perfect comes, is the way it's often translated. Uh, and then people say, well, that perfect means the Bible. So these gifts are there until the perfect comes. And once we had the Bible... Uh, we, we, we don't need those gifts anymore. Who needs to be healed when you have a Bible? So the logic is completely made up. There is no such thing. The word perfect, let me give you an illustration. The word perfect is the word telos. telos. And it, you have a couple words. Eschatos means you have a whole row of things. And the eschatos is the last one. But the telios is, is, a, is a word like when a rose goes from a little bud, opens up, and becomes a full-bloom flower. Or a child grows up into a full, mature adult. So Paul says in that verse, he says, these gifts have been given to us until the full bloom, the full manhood, until Jesus comes again and the kingdom of God is set up. So in a sense, we are are all cessationists. We believe that the gifts will pass away when Jesus comes again. When you can go talk to him directly, you don't need, you know, some of this other stuff. That's what it says. It says it'll pass away when he comes again. And even my Bible, which is anything but a Calvin, I mean, forgive me saying that word. It is not a Pentecostal Bible, to say the least. He has to admit that the, that the perfect there in 1 Corinthians 13, 10 is the coming of Jesus Christ. Well, that answers your question. When would it end? If we are not hindered by that or other fears, once we strongly sense his presence, we should step out by faith and begin to speak something other than English or another language, if that's what we speak. We should not mimic what someone else is saying or listen to our to ourselves and try to analyze if we're speaking a language. As we speak, we should focus our attention on the Lord and whatever words are coming out of our mouth should be spoken directly to him. As we take this step, we should not expect compulsive speech as if the spirit will take control of our tongue and jaws. I've often seen people go like this. Sort of expecting it to go out of them. You know, like a, the, the Holy Spirit does not function that way. You speak, your air, your teeth, your tongue. Uh, he gives you the words. Where do they come from? They seem to flow in my, uh, just my description of it for myself, seems to flow up from my, my spirit. 
It's as though it rises up and, I, and the words come out of my lips. I speak them. I can start. I can stop. I can get loud. I can get soft. I'm in control. It is not frenzy. It is not gibberish. It is none of that. You speak words that he gives you. As we take this step, we, should, oh, we must make the, the effort to speak. We, but we will find that words seem to arise from our heart and flow out of our mouth. We don't invent words in our minds. We simply speak what the Spirit gives us. Once we begin to speak, we need to continue speaking. We need to enunciate. Sometimes people will just sort of slur. And I say, just enunciate. Use your teeth. Use your lips. Go ahead. Speak those words. We must not fall into a pattern of repeating syllables. Da, 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 da. That's just you're stuck. And if we keep our thoughts on him at some point, we will sense a flow of language that we have not labored to produce. And we will feel the strengthening of the spirit, his presence. When that happens, it's a good idea to keep going and let our heart worship God for a while. And then switch back into our native language and pray with understanding. But even then, we can continue to let the thoughts of what we are saying come from the spirit. Here's a wonderful lesson. You move from speaking this language you don't know to speaking freely in your native language. English, Spanish, whatever it is. So now I'm pouring out this language. You'd be surprised how people who are not free in tongues often aren't free in their prayer life either in the way they pray. It's pretty routine. And so if you say to somebody, would you just pray for us right now? Or would you just, or I'll, 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 I've noticed it where, just let, praise him freely. And they're stuck. It's kind of surprising. I, I mean, these are Christians. They're stuck. They go, well, well um, yay God. Um, go for it, God. Hallelujah. Um, all for you. You know, uh, they don't know what to say. When this other gets released, all of a sudden you say, now praise the Lord. Now just, oh Lord Jesus, I love you and I just glorify you. It's just like it takes a plug out of something. It just releases something. In this way, we're discovering that the Spirit can guide the, the prayers and worship that we speak in our own language. In this way, we, we are learning to be led by the Spirit. And that is a very important lesson which releases the other spoken gifts as well, because we're all called, we're to call it a prophesy, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, interpretation of tongues. After praying or praising with the understanding for a few minutes, it's helpful to switch back into speaking in tongues again. This step will help us discover that we can begin speaking in tongues whenever we wish to. It is, it is good then to continue speaking as long as our heart feels the need. Sometimes God will uh, do a deep healing in the process. It's what I wish I had done as a boy. Boy, did I need healing. <laughs> and I wish I'd let that flow when that happened. God often is actually dealing with some of our own pain as we pray out and talk to him. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.